Well, you can have your books open in Luke chapter 7, the passage that Vince read earlier on, because that's the passage that we are going to go with. We'll not read it again. We'll just go into this, the passage, but we'll pray first. It's Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Dear Lord, we, we are here because you called us, and we are here, Lord, only to answer your call. So, Lord, help us to be responsive, and we can do that only through the Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom, Lord, not to oppose his work in our lives, but to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. A few weeks ago, we, we spoke on uh, the woman who anointed Jesus' feet. And Jesus said that wherever the gospel will be preached, it will be said what this woman has done. And uh, we've seen that the gospel, it's about a response. That woman wasn't there just to receive from Jesus. That woman was there to answer to the love of Jesus. And whenever the gospel is preached, we should be aware that although we call the sinners to Jesus, that there is forgiveness, there is salvation in Jesus, we need to preach that there is a response from us, a response of devotion to him, exactly like what this woman did. It was, that was a shocking remark from Jesus because Judas was there and he didn't agree with what Jesus has done. He said this money could have been given for the poor. So much could have been done about it. And Jesus said, you'll have the poor all the time with you, but not me. And it's very interesting, you know, there, are, there is two contrasts there. Mary anoints Jesus, it says, with oil on his head. And this passage, I believe it's about another woman. It's a different location. It's in the north. And that happened in Jerusalem, uh, near Jerusalem in Bethania with Mary, and Jesus calls that woman by name Mary, and says, this Mary has anointed me on my head with oil in advance for the burial. But this, this time, this woman says that it's only at the feet of Jesus, and actually she wipes Jesus' feet with her tears, and then she anoints only Jesus' feet. But the contrast there with Mary in Bethany is that while Mary was pouring all she could have, the wages of a whole year in value for the perfume, Peter wants to keep the money, and not just that, he's cashing in the money for Jesus. One person, Mary, wastes all she has for Jesus and lavishes for Jesus, and the other one, Judas, he cashes in for Jesus, 30 pieces of silver, exactly in the same night. And there are two kinds of people that live in this world. People who are there to lavish all that they have for Jesus. And that's why it says, whenever the gospel will be preached, will be preached what this woman has done. You cannot be a Christian if you don't lavish everything for Jesus. 
Some people want to be Christians like Judas, just to get in, to cash in, because of Jesus. And that's not the gospel of Jesus. So now come, so that's the shocking thing about Jesus, and now it's another shocking thing. So I was thinking, there can be a city here, a series of sermons on the shocking messages of Jesus, because Jesus likes like to shock us. And this time he shocks another man, and that's called Simon. Simon the Pharisee. So you know the story. He's invited by these Pharisees. Not first time when Jesus is encountering meetings with the Pharisees. Nicodemus was one of them. And this man opens his house for Jesus. And um, there were more guests able to come to the house. And was this woman that came, you know, when Jesus was heard that came into a place, more people will jump around, will crowd around, and the doors maybe were open, and this woman sneaks in. And maybe she was expecting that, the, as the tradition is, the, the guest, Simon, uh, the host, Simon, will wash the feet of his guest, Jesus. But he's not doing this as it happens in, uh, in that part of the world, not here. You can still keep your, your, feet on, uh, your shoes on your feet when you visit here. And then she expected that after the, the feet will be washed, they will be anointed and the, the cheek of Jesus will be kissed according with the tradition. And as she looks at all this, none of those things happen. And after... In the middle of the discussion, or after the discussion, she says, okay, I'm going to do what this host has not done for Jesus. And she goes at the back of Jesus' feet. And you have to remember, in, in those days, they will not eat around the table as we do it. They will do it something like that, so that they can eat with the right hand. So you have to remember when it says that she was behind the Jesus' feet, the woman was there. And that's where she started to kiss Jesus' feet. And as she was kissing Jesus' feet, the Bible says that she started to cry. And as she was started to cry, it says that the tears rolled on Jesus' feet. And remember, Jesus' feet were not washed. And as her tears were flowing on Jesus' feet, she could see the dirt washing off Jesus' feet. And then she said, I cannot leave Jesus' feet like that. And then he said that she started to wipe them with her hair to make the feet clean. So she was doing what the host has not done, traditionally, by tradition, to Jesus. And after that, she started to anoint Jesus' feet with the oil. It doesn't say if it was expensive or not expensive, but it was oil. And she started kissing Jesus' feet. So that's something very strange happening. How many of us will feel comfortable had we been in that house with this sin? With the sin that happened there. It's very interesting that the woman uses her hair, the most glorious part of her body, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, to dry the feet of Jesus, the most ignor ignorable part of one's body. And she didn't do this very quickly to finish off. She was persisting in doing this. And this, Jesus calls, was 
her worship and was a worship of great cost to her. It cost her her perfume. It cost her the humility to kiss, to wash and dry the feet of Jesus. But the higher price of what she's done there, but was paid by the woman, was not in all this. It was facing the scorn and the rejection of the self-righteous Pharisees and other diner guests at that meal. And Jesus gives us the punchline of the story. And he tells a story with two people. One was owing 500 denarius. So we know that 300 denarius is the, the wage for a year. So you add maybe two more uh, months on top of that. So you have 14 months of wage. And one was owing only 50 denarius. One month and a half, let's say. And says the, the one that were owning the money from them forgave both of them. Said, who do you think will love this guy more? The one who owed him 14 months of wage or the one who owned the guy only one month and a half of wage? And the answer was evident, the one who owned more. And Jesus closed this story with this. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. So that's a very shocking message of Jesus, when Jesus shocks again. So what we can say from all this is that the more you are forgiven, the more you are forgiven, the more you love. The more faults, the deeper the forgiveness. The bigger the pile, the bigger the quantity of forgiveness, or the bigger the sin, the bigger the grace. Where sin has increased, the grace has abounded. So the natural question that raises in our minds is this, is our forgiveness conditioned to our love for Jesus? Is Jesus forgiving us only in the measure in which we love him? Or if you say, is salvation by works? Do I have to do something so that I can convince Jesus to forgive me? Do I have to, to sin more, to be forgiven more? Well, the point is not to discuss salvation in this story. The point is to discuss the reaction that this woman had as a result of her forgiveness. The emphasis is not on salvation and forgiveness, the emphasis is on the reaction that one who saved or the one that who is forgiven has towards Jesus. And this woman helps us to reevaluate how we look at Jesus and how we look at people around us and how we look at sin. So let's look the first thing that this woman shows us. How do we regard Jesus? Who is Jesus for us? And you can say, Jesus can be a, like a teacher, a theologian for us. That's what Nicodemus seen in Jesus. That's what Simon the Pharisee saw in Jesus. One that it's a greater than anybody around him as a rabbi, as a teacher. And that's why he invited Jesus into his house out of curiosity to learn something from him. 
something that the other rabbis couldn't. Remember that Jesus was said about him that he was teaching with authority, not like the other people. They were just talking like from books, but Jesus taught with authority. Or you can look at Jesus, and Jesus is for you no more than a provider. You come to Jesus, you give your life to Jesus, but you, you know he's a good provider. He created the heavens and the universe, so he can provide you with all that you need. With finances, with job, with health. And you make from him your provider, the source of blessing. And as we said earlier on, Mary didn't see anything like that in Jesus. For Mary, Jesus was the one that she that he was meant, he was worth, that she should lavish everything for him. She never came to bargain with Jesus. Judas, for Judas, Jesus was one that he could bargain, and he bargained for 30 pieces of, sil of silver. Judas cashed in for Jesus while Mary wa wasted all she could give for Jesus. For others, Jesus is a judge, one that they fear that he will judge them at the end of the day. For their sins. But the good thing is that we can see Jesus what this woman is called that she was a sinful woman. She saw in him a savior, Lord. So is Jesus your savior? Is Jesus your Lord? While it's true that Jesus is the sinless son of God who hates sin and who will ultimately judge sinners, the message of the gospel is that Jesus first came to seek and to save that which was lost. He has not come to condemn the world. And that's exactly his reaction towards this sinful woman. Jesus said to the woman in, in, caught in adultery, when she was about to be condemned, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. The one, is Jesus for you the one who forgave you? then you should be grateful to him. Because when you love one, if you acknowledge that he forgave you and you love somebody, the last thing you want to do to the one that you say you love, the last thing is to, to hurt that person. If my children say they love me, I don't expect to be hurt by them. If I'm telling to my children that I love them, they expect me not to hurt them. And it's the same with Jesus. We come and we sing, I love the name of Jesus. But do we hurt him after we finish the song and the time in our worship on Sunday? Or is Jesus the one that we adore him, one that we worship him? And that's very interesting. I want to pause a bit together with you. Worship is for sinners. Worship is not for saints. Worship is for sinners. This woman, Jesus didn't deny that she was not a sinner. He didn't try to minimize that she was a sinner. It's important to recognize that sinner can worship God, and worship is made for sinners. Just think of the Old Testament, the complex rules and traditions and rituals that a sinner had to go through before they will worship the Lord. They couldn't just do it by themselves. It had to be narrowed for a whole nation to the 12 tribes, from the 12 tribes to one, only one tribe, the tribe of Levites. And they had to follow the books that are called uh, Leviticus numbers that are so hard for us to read and are boring, but they had to follow to the letter. Why? Because 
that book, those two books of the rituals were there to tell them that God is a holy God and they are sinners and they cannot just approach God the way they want. They had to come through the means, through the way that God provided, through the blood of the animals and not just any animal, the animals that were provided by God and deemed as clean. So the blood was there to tell us God is holy and you're a sinner. And if you really want to worship, you need to have a sacred place, the temple. And you need to have a sacred ritual, the sacrifices. And you need to have sacred people, the priests. And every time they did that, they had to, remind, to be reminded, the pagans are worshiping their own idols the way they want. But we are to do it the way God tells us to do it because we are sinners. So don't take sin lightly. Because Jesus never took sin lightly. So when we come to the New Testament, God says you should realize that you're a sinner. And in conjunction with the holiness of God, the lost perfection, our reactions should be one that will stimulate worship towards him. Those of us who are most sensitive to the magnitude of our sin should also recognize the magnitude of God's forgiveness, thus stimulating our worship. So the other thing about worship is that worship takes place at the feet of Jesus. Real worship is at the feet of Jesus. That's why we hear repeatedly that we are to bow down, to prostrate before God, because that's where his feet are. And just think about it. Daniel and John and the people who worship Jesus and Peter, they all fell down when they worship Jesus at the feet of Jesus. We find men falling all the time at the feet of Jesus when they recognize him as God. Worship at the feet of Jesus acknowledges his greatness and our unworthiness, his perfection and our sinfulness. That's why I don't feel at all comfortable people who come and they say, I spoke with Jesus. Jesus came to me. Jesus revealed to me. My next question is, how was your posture? Did you carry on doing the very things that you were doing? We portray a Jesus that we are so familiar, indulging familiarities with him. Just because of the blood that was shed for us to come into the most holy place. But do we realize that we come into the most holy place? Do we there stand in the most holy place? We are bold, yes, we are to come bold because we know that God is not for us, not, is not against us, is for us. But at the same time, we are to come with fear and trembling. We cannot divorce one from the, from the other. Worship that exalts man is not true worship. Somebody told me that I wasn't aware that nowadays when you look at the books and you look on the first, the main cover, you see the name of the author bigger than the name of the title of the book. And we are not happy with that. And people now they have ministries and they put their name to the ministry and they say, so and so ministry. Because it's not about Jesus at the end of the day, it's about them. They need to be acknowledged. Their name has to be high and lifted up and even put on a picture on a wall if it's possible. Worship that exalts man is not true worship. Worship that exalts Jesus is a true worship. Is Jesus for you the one to whom you are forever grateful? 
Worship is not concerned about receiving something from our Lord as giving something to him. Jesus was approached by many people, most of whom wanted something from him. And, you know, had I been Bartimaeus or a blind or a beggar or a limp, I would have come to Jesus to receive forgiveness, uh, to receive healing. But, you know, the thing is that too often our prayers are like a wish list for Santa at Christmas time. To sell them our prayers are praise and adoration alone without any requests where our only desire is to be in his presence forever. Only what I can grab for, from him. So that was the first question. Who's Jesus for you? Second question is this. How do you regard, how do you regard the sinners around you? How do you regard the people around you? What are the sinners for you? Remember that this is the same Jesus that told the parable of the merciful Samaritan when the guy came to Jesus and asked, who is my neighbor that I should love him? And just gave him the parable of the Samaritans that although uh, he came a Levi and he came a priest, they didn't show mercy to the guy that was on the street, robbed by the thieves. It was the Samaritan. The people that, the Jews that didn't want to have anything to do with them. Jesus also spoke with a Samaritan woman who had four husbands. She, he paid attention to her. Jesus is the one that rebuked John when he wanted to call fire from heaven over the sinners. Jesus was the one who stopped the stone throwers to kill an adulteress. And Jesus was the one who invited the a tax invited himself to a tax collector into his own house to dine with him. Zacchaeus, you're right. Jesus was the one that was accused that he's eating with the sinners. Jesus was all the time approachable to the people around him, to the people that are not we are not approachable to them, they are not approachable to us. Never once Jesus said a word of condemnation to the sinners, never once. I beg you to find me where Jesus said a word of condemnation to the sinners. The only sober phrase to them was, go and see no more. Or when he said, if you really want to be safe from sin, if your eye makes you to sin, if your hand makes you to sin, better gouge your eye out, cut your hand off, because it's better to go in heaven without a part of your body than to go in hell with all your body intact. Because Jesus knew how sin destroys. Not just your eye, destroys your tongue, destroys your brain, your muscles, everything. And that's why Jesus came with sinners because he was a doctor for the ill people. He was a shepherd for the lost sheep. Simon felt that his home will be more righteous by keeping sinners out of the house. And that's why he was reasoning, if Jesus is a true prophet, he will know what woman is touching him. He will not allow that to happen. In that time, he wanted that woman out of his house. Many churches feel the same way. Simon was inclined to see some sins as greater than the other sins in the eyes of God. Sexual sin, we say it's unforgivable, but pride was acceptable. In Proverbs 6.16 we read, Here are six things the Lord hates. 
seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out little, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. And the sin of sexuality is not even mentioned here. Does God mean that he doesn't hate sexuality, uh, sin, adultery? No, it's just that we overlook. That's big for us to understand that it's a sin. But what about these things? The small foxes, they destroy the vineyards. Simon taught of religion as something to be preserved. Jesus taught of true religion in terms of penetration. Simon wanted to keep sinners out. Jesus went out there for the sinners. He went to seek them. Simon's error is the failure to grasp the change from the old covenant to the new covenant. In the old covenant, the sin was seen as incurable, something that you have to avoid. And that's why when you had people that were with discharges, bodily fluids, with leper, you had to keep them out of the camp. You should not contact, touch them, dead bodies. But when Jesus comes, he's totally strange. He touches the, the coffin of the dead. He is touching the lepers. He's not afraid to have contact with the unclean people and with the sinners. He eats with them. He goes in the house of the tax collectors. Why? Because in the new covenant, Jesus comes with a change. And he says, I came to change. I came with a solution. In the Old Testament, there was no solution for sin. But in the New Testament, Jesus himself is the solution. And he says, I am the cure. I can change the human heart. And Jesus says, if I don't get in touch with the sinner, there is no solution for that sinner. So that's simple as it is. And we have Jesus. We have the solution in us. And we, Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you will not have part with me, he said to Simon Peter. And if Jesus doesn't touch us in our sinfulness, we have no part with him. And that's why Jesus was not afraid to get in touch with sinners. And we read that somebody who snatches somebody away from sin has covered a multitude of sins. We are to go after the sinners. We are to welcome. We are to, to make them feel welcome around us because we have the only one that can save them because it's the same one who saved us. The Pharisees looked at sin as something the way we look at the coronavirus, something that has to be secluded. The sinners are the ones that have to be kept in quarantine, not at all in the churches, out there. But Jesus said, no, I came, and the churches are the places of quarantine for them. Bring them in the churches. Bring them in my presence, because I can deal with them. I have the cleansing blood for them. And now this leads us to the third question. How do we regard sin? What is our reaction to sin? Just look at Paul's different view of sin. He once was proud of himself. He was self-righteous and now he's humble about himself. And he declares himself to be the chief of sinners. Sinners and tax collectors, Jesus says that they are the first to come into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Why are they to be the first into the kingdom of heaven over the ones that are 
use with church. Because they can see what the rest cannot see. Forgiveness is the same for all, but not all see the need for forgiveness. The sinners can appreciate what others cannot appreciate. What we take from, for granted, a sinner that sees Jesus for the first time for who he is, will adore Jesus for the, things, the very things that we take for granted. They say, I should have not, I should have not deserved, and yet I was forgiven. But the rest of us say, I deserve more. Why only this for me? Give me more, more blessings. But they are happy just with a crumble of blessing, just to be at the feet of Jesus if they cannot sit at the lavish table of Jesus. And that's where Jesus comes and says, for who has been forgiven little loves little, but we can change it. Who has been forgiven much will love much. And now I want to ask you, how much do you love? According with how much forgiveness you have received. And I want to tell you how much forgiveness have you received? Have you re been forgiven only for your past? That's only one-third of your pile of sins. Are you grateful for Je to Jesus that you have been forgiven only for your past and present? That's only two-thirds of your piles of sins. Or are you for uh, grateful to Jesus because he has forgiven you the whole past, present, and future? That's the whole big pile. And I'm saying this with fear and trembling. If we really believe that Jesus has forgiven our past, present, and future, we don't dare, we don't ever, never, ever dare to take things lightly. Because once I've been forgiven of something, I cannot go back like the swine to the mire. I cannot even inoculate in people's minds that Jesus is so good that he can forgive you, don't worry. I've been forgiven so much that I don't dare. I'm running like from fire, from sin. Because from now on I know, I want to know the love of Jesus. I don't want to know the rebuke of Jesus. I want to see the happy face of Jesus. I don't want to see the painful face of Jesus. It makes the whole difference when you understand how much Jesus has forgiven you. It makes the whole difference. You see his grace, you see his goodness, his love to you, and this Paul says, the love of Christ compels us, demands my soul, my life, my all. When you see that you have been forgiven, whole of it, my sin not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I carry no more. When you see that, it transform you, transforms you and it makes you abhor sin. You will make, it will make you hate sin and break with the world of lust and be determined for him. And then only you can have power against sin. When you see sin the way Jesus has seen, and just says, the pile was so big, I'm dealing with it once for all. And I'm drinking the cup. Although it was heavy for him, and said, Father, if it's possible, take away from me. But Jesus went uh, uh, ahead. And when you see that, that Jesus had to endure everything for our sins, you will say, I cannot go afford to go back to my old friendships, to my old habits. Because I've been forgiven, I've been cleansed from them, I, I've been snatched out from them. How do you know that one is genuinely saved? By their reaction to sin. Not by their declaration, it's by their reaction to Jesus and to sin. 
Two can look at the same thing and have two different reactions. You can look at the cross of Jesus and say, such love. I fear to disappoint my Jesus. Or you can say, such love. I can afford to carry on and do things because Jesus keeps forgetting, forgiving me. When one receives a promotion in his job, it can have one or of these two reactions. One is to be motivated and compelled not to let down his boss for giving him the promotion. Or the other one is, I got the promotion, I can just play lazy now. That's how you know if a person is saved or not, by how diligent they live their life to Jesus. If you want a Christian life, what is the definition of a Christian? It's one who's grateful to what Jesus has done. Many know that Jesus died for their sins, but few are grateful to show it with their lives for Jesus in a life of devotion to him. Remember, Jesus gave a parable with three administrators that were entrusted with the talents. One was entrusted with five, one was entrusted with two, and one was entrusted with one. Two of them were grateful. They were so grateful that they said, we want to get busy and do work for Jesus, for, for our master. And they multiplied, they doubled what they've done. But there was the other one. He got only one talent and said, well, I'm grateful I got one talent. And you know, his reaction, instead of being grateful, he said, I will just rest now. I will just live relaxed and I will just bury there to make sure it's intact there so that I will present it back. It will not be stolen from me. Was the master happy when he came? Was he praising him? Oh, you knew my rest. You knew how to rest about it. Oh, the master said, why didn't you put it into the bank to give an income out of it at least? Because God is looking for grateful people. And grateful people are those who are laboring for him, who are serving him with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, and all their strength. Remember, there were ten lepers. All of them were healed by Jesus. Nine carried on and enjoying their healing, caring less about Jesus, only about his provision of healing, and only one came back to say, thank you, Jesus. And Jesus said, I healed 10. Where are the other nine? Because Jesus is looking for gratefulness. And then today I'm asking the light of the cross of Jesus, where my heart and where your heart stands. Is it grateful that Jesus paid it all? Or you're so relaxed and say, Jesus paid it all, I can live the way I want. Just why Je that's why Jesus said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Those who have eyes to see, let them see. Because we look at the same cross of Jesus. We hear the same gospel of Jesus that Jesus died for us. But some see it in one way. Some see it in a different way. Some hear it in one way. And some hear it in a different way. How do you hear it? How do you perceive it? If what you hear doesn't produce in you gratefulness, gratitude, and a stronger desire and a fire that will boil inside you and burn you and will consume you for Jesus, I'm afraid you're not a Christian. I'm afraid you're only fooling yourself. That's how the big division will be done. That day many will come, even those who've done miracles, and say, Lord, Lord, we've done all this in your name. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I can never understand this. How can that happen? And now I want to close with this, this video. Thank you.
So I took a few moments a couple of weeks ago and camped outside of a couple of our campuses and I wanted to see how we were doing, you know, when it's hardest to love. Do you know that your Father in heaven is giving the same graces to the person that's hardest for you to love? He's giving it. He's giving. He doesn't play favors. He's giving the grace to everyone. And if we're going to love like our Father in heaven loves, we don't get to play favorites. And by favorites, I mean so often we love the people where there's some benefit in it for us, right? Okay, 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 fine. I'll call my brother when I get home. I haven't talked to him for two years, but I'll call him, really, will you, will you? Because that's going to work out pretty good for you, right? Now everything's going to be good with your brother. Your mom will get off your back and your sister's not going to think you're a jerk anymore. And, and I mean, this is, but see, that's not what I'm talking about. Yes, do that. But not just that. Where it's not your favorite, where there's nothing in it for you, where it's not an upgrade to your portfolio of awesomeness. So how did our church do in the video? I'm going to tell you now. awesome I, I was crying inside that beard I cannot believe the people in this church the number of people that prayed with me and brought me food just watch and see Let's just pray for you real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, so thankful, Lord, that you brought this man to your church on your day, Lord. We are so blessed that he is here. Lord, we just pray for into this man and just bless him and love him. Bless you. Well, God, I just pray that you would just meet this man. And Father, that if it would be your will, that you would just have um, him come into our church. But that you would just know the love of Christ. I don't want you to be out here without knowing him, okay? Welcome to come inside. We'd love to have you. You All can right. come in. <laughs> you want? That's all right. Bye. How you doing tonight? Doing okay? Would you like to come in and have church with us? And sit with us for church? Is there any like, people need pray for you? Or is But I got some water for you. And uh, something more valuable. It's the word of God here. And God bless you. Is there anything I can be praying for for you, sir? It's okay. Well, you I'm got the point. You. you got the point. Jesus said that whenever we done these things, to the list of the people. We've done it not to them, we've done it to Jesus. It's not that salvation is by works, but true salvation is revealed by works. 
I am saved by grace, a free grace, but it's not cheap. Free is not cheap. It's been the costliest of them all. And when I understand that, I give my life, myself, my all. Who has been forgiven much, we love much. Who has seen Jesus for who he is, we love much. Who's capable of love? We celebrated Valentine's Day. Who's capable of love? We are bred and bred in selfishness. How can we love? Because we only love as long as I can feed my selfishness. But Christianity is a very difficult thing because cannot be lived without Jesus. Because it's asking us to pile down all the selfishness from us, to receive him instead. But because we are being forgiven so much, we can be filled with so much. And we can be filled with love. And only who has Jesus in him and in her can love much and is capable of love. I am not capable of love and you're not capable of love as long as Jesus comes and has given him total room in my life and in your life. And that's why Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ and live but not me. Because on my own I cannot live but Christ liveth in me. That's the secret of Christianity. And only Christians should be the champions in subject of love. Because we have the king of love in our lives. I pray this to be the reality for my life. And to pray the reality for it to be for your life as well. Jesus, you are the only one who can give us forgiveness. But Lord, help us. Because we only want to take it in small junks from you so that we can still afford the pleasures of this sinful life holy spirit come and deliver us from this selfish thought we want lord to receive all of you a clean break with the past with our sinful life so lord we receive the whole forgiveness full and free so that we'll have all of you, have all of the Holy Spirit, all his fullness, the fullness of Godhead that is in Christ Jesus to be in us and for us and for your church and to be the power of love for a dying world. And then it will be the power of salvation because when they will see our love, they will like to have what we have. So please don't let us go into ourselves, Lord, because we cannot save them with our own love. We can only save people with your own love in, love, in us. So, Lord, please come and complete this work in us and help us to see what only eyes open by the Holy Spirit can see, your love for us at Calvary. Amen.